Please stand in body or in spirit for the reading of the gospel. As we continue our series on the women who show up in Jesus' genealogy, today we have one brief verse from Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. This is the gospel of grace. Thanks be to God. One could scarcely call it a decision, my choice to head back home. I just get up one day and start walking. The same way the very act of waking up has become involuntary, this too is unwilled by me. Every night I lay down, hoping for eternal sleep, wishing for nothing but death. And yet some unseen force pulls me out of bed each day, moves me to prepare my meal, opens my mouth to eat. My body complies independently. My spirit is elsewhere, wrapped up in despair. One day, the force tugs at my feet, and without forethought or warning, I begin the long, lonely (coughs) trek home. It's the logical thing to do, certainly. I am a widowed woman living in a foreign land. My sons are dead. I have nowhere to turn and no one to provide for me. The sensible response is to leave my home of ten years and return to my kin in hopes someone will take pity. And so this is what my body does, whether my mind is aware of its practicality or not. My daughter-in-laws try to follow me. This is nonsense, of course. They, even less clear-headed in their grief than I, I am all they have left of their deceased spouses, and I am nothing much, a tired, grouchy woman whose sons far outshone her in company and in charm. The girls follow me out of longing for what they have lost. I can see that. When the grief passes, their sense will return. They will understand why I send them back. These young women have a future if they stay in Moab, the home of their families. Unlike me, a foreign woman past marriageable age doesn't stand a chance. To come with me would reverse their chances. They would end up the foreign ones, spent women without a hope for happiness. This business of following me is all wrong. They must go back. I say so. Stop them in their tracks and demand they leave me. I say it harsh because I know what is best and I wish to leave no room for doubt. Orpah looks as if she will have a meltdown right there on the side of the road. She has always been rather demonstrative. I'm not much for touching, but I lean forward, albeit awkwardly, and kiss them both to soften the rejection. At this rare brush with affection, they wail. They protest. No, we will go with you. I nearly laugh. What are they thinking? What has prompted such feverish display of loyalty? What, I say, can I provide more sons for you to marry? I find my voice is growing shrill. Even if I were to marry and conceive tonight, would you wait for the boys to be grown? 
I am mocking the girls now, which I somewhat regret when I see the pain in their eyes. It has been far more bitter for me than for you, I say, for the hand of the Lord has turned against me. <coughs> I cry to them in anguish, willing them to see that to sojourn with me is to choose emptiness. They are weeping in earnest now, and even I can see that the tears are genuine, that they are not just residual tears for their husbands, but they are fresh tears, prompted by the thought of losing me. I shift my feet uncomfortably. My departure is causing such pain. Orpah finally kisses me goodbye, and to my surprise I feel a tear rolling down my cheek, though whether it is for her or for my lost son, I do not know. Most days I am too numb to cry at all. Orpah leaves, and I wipe the back of my sleeve across my nose. Ruth is standing there quietly waiting. I turn to her and she rushes me. Suddenly I am in an embrace like none I have ever known before, as if she is trying to meld together our skin. One can only stay stiff for so long inside such a hug. Before Ruth even begins to speak, I know that for us there will be no parting of ways. That night, as we rest from our travels, it is bitterly cold, and I toss and turn, unable to stay asleep in the chill. Ruth climbs in my bedding to warm my frail body. Thank you, Milan, I mumble groggily, but I am awake enough to realize I have called her my son's name by mistake. I say nothing more. A pain shoots through my heart. Ruth does not correct me only brushes the hair from my face and hums softly. Her words from earlier in the day drift through my mind like a piece of poetry. I can remember every word. Do not press me to leave or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do this and so to me, and even more as well, if even death parts me from you. Where had she learned to speak so beautifully? It had left me speechless. I accept her decision in silence. On the one hand, I am more moved than I know how to say. How have I, who feel so alone and forgotten in this world, garnered such devotion? On the other hand, I fear for Ruth's future. I feel selfish for being relieved by her commitment to me. What is in it for her but hardship and the needs of an aging woman? <coughs> when we arrive, the people of Bethlehem are shocked to see us. We can almost feel the buzz of the rumors darting and dancing behind us wherever we go. I feel irritable that our tragedy is reduced to gossip, and so I snap. Demand that they do not call me Naomi, as if to erase the me that was here long before, before it all happened. I am not news. I am sorrow walking. I say, call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? That shuts them up, for the time being at least. Later I will need their gossip, need to know where and with whom we may find favor. But for now I just want peace and quiet, no chatter, no opinions, no gushes of sympathy. I want to be left alone. I'm not alone, of course. Ruth is here, too. What am I going to do with her? To my surprise, Ruth finds her way around town and around the gossip faster than me. Without delay, she comes up with a way to get food. I tell myself she is a young, energetic woman, deeply motivated by her hunger, but I know her major concern is my health. We had eaten so sparingly on the journey. She is eager to start gleaning the fields. I tell her, go, my daughter. It is the first time my mouth has ever uttered these words. My lips are accustomed to saying, my son. And it is as if my soul slightly winces at the shift. I swallow. Ruth smiles back at me with such ease that the strangeness is swallowed up by her affection. She scurries off to glean, for during the harvest time, those in poverty are allowed to follow behind the harvesters and take what they drop. With my bad back and aching joints, I am not much good for working in the fields, so eventually I let the townswomen come and talk with me. I am afraid to open my mouth, lest my pain come avalanching out, burying my listener in memories of Elimelech and our son, story after story of our life together that will never be again. To my surprise, I talk mostly of Ruth, her devotion, her resourcefulness, her startling faithfulness despite all odds. A woman remarks, why Mara, you're smiling. The day Ruth comes home from the field of Boaz, I fall over in shock. Not only is the amount of barley she gleaned unreal for the gatherer of dropped sheaves, not only had she been offered bread and wine by the owner of the fields himself, not only had he heard of Ruth's kindness to me and, com and commended her, not only had she been given grain in addition to what she had gathered, not only was she given his blessing, but also this man is our kin. I cannot believe her good fortune our good fortune. <coughs> Ruth has been gleaning successfully in Boaz's field every day, but as the end of the harvest approaches, I fear what will come next. How will we continue to survive? Ruth has worked so hard, but what now? I must not leave this burden to her. She returns from the fields so tired, I know it has not yet occurred to her to make further plans for our welfare. To show gratitude for her labor, I rub her aching feet at night, and all the while, I plot. I am so consumed with ideas for her well-being that I have nearly forgotten my grief. I have now thought about it from every possible angle at least 30 times, which means it is time to unveil my plan. At last, I tell Ruth what I am thinking. She cannot be surprised that I am holding out hope for her and Boaz. But she must be shocked at the brazenness of my ideas. But I feel certain we must leave no loopholes. She must come across like an offer he will not wish to refuse. 
I can tell Ruth is amazed, but pleased. I cannot help but smirk just a little. Nothing like bonding over a bit of mischief. Ruth visits Boaz in the night, just as I suggested. He is receptive to her, but there is a kink in the plan. There is yet another man who is even closer kin to us than Boaz, and technically he has a right to Ruth before Boaz does. I am angry at these ridiculous laws that keep my daughter from such a good man, but Ruth is calm and at peace. She seems to think it will work out. Life has taught me that things do not work out, and that people you love get taken away. But Ruth gently reminds me that she is still here and has not left me, so I must stop saying that everyone leaves. She reminds me that we have been given food and sustenance, that we have been shown kindness. She reminds me that sorrow is not the only narrative I have. She doesn't say it, but I remember her words, where you will go I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. I think to myself, she has done more than adopt my God. She has become a woman of deep faith, which is more than could be said about me. I decide that perhaps God is not angry at my lack of faith, but rather God sent Ruth to be faith for me as a mercy on my grief. I don't feel trust exactly, but I feel less empty somehow, like perhaps I will not always be bitter. Oh my goodness, I can scarcely believe it. Word has arrived and there is to be a wedding. Ruth and Boaz at last. I feel something I haven't felt in a long time. I, th I think I used to call that feeling joy. And then for a moment, the joy wavers and I am afraid. Will Boaz take my Ruth from me? But no, she has promised to never leave me. And when Ruth speaks, she means what she says. The day Ruth gives birth to Obed, the people say to Boaz... Through the children that the Lord will give you by this young woman, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. It's been a while since I thought of Tamar's story, a woman who, like me and Ruth, knew great loss, but eventually also knew joy. And the women of Bethlehem say to me, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is more to you than seven sons, and she has borne him. And what do you know but I feel like joining their praises? I cradle that precious grandchild in my arms, and I look over at Ruth, who is more to me than seven sons. She is looking at me, holding him. I think to myself, 
I am no longer empty. The women have proclaimed, let the name of my grandson be renowned in Israel. But then I think how perhaps no one will remember this young woman. How history is made of kings and men, of warriors and nations. We do not pass down the small stories of fiercely determined women who stay to help their mother-in-laws. I want the world to know about Ruth, the Moabite, who saved me. When I was convinced God had forgotten me, it was, through, it was her through whom God said, I remember you. When I was wedged between anguish and grief, it was Ruth who carried me through to the other side. It was Ruth who gave me my name back. Perhaps I will write this story down for my grandchildren to read someday. I once told my daughters, the hand of the Lord has turned against me, and I meant it. But now I know differently. Praise be to God who drew me up from the desolate pit, and praise be to Ruth whose hand did the pulling. May all of you be so blessed as me. No matter your losses, May some surprise of love see you through. May the darkness you have known serve as a womb for joy to do its slow growing before birth. Amen. <laughs>